0: In your word, that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord, it's that which will last forever. Faith and hope, Lord, will fade away because we will be in your presence, but it's the love of God that will last throughout the ages. And because of that, Father, we just thank you and praise you. Gather together in this place tonight as your children, praying, Lord, that you would speak to us and guide us in your word one more time. And Father, as you have given us this great hope through your word, I pray that your word would work through us, Lord and into the lives of those you bring into our lives. So we just thank you and praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you Turn to greet your neighbor. Howdy. I make sure Paul do not sneak up behind me. Hi, Roberta. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll be starting at verse (coughs) 9. Excuse me. Um, I guess the uh, worship team left their bottle up here. (laughs) In case they need a quick swig, I guess. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I'll start reading at verse 9. preacher says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end to all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is all vanity and grasping for the wind. So, the preacher is not liking what he's seen; he's, 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 as he has taken this overview of society. He has been looking at these things, as we've seen pretty much every time, under the sun or apart from a relationship with God. Now, it's up to this point, it is as if he has been in his ivory tower looking down, possibly Solomon looking at least at his kingdom, I mean, well, in his court, and now he's venturing out into society. He's looking at these things as they, well, as they compare to what he sees in society amongst them. Now last week we saw the per- first place that he ventured was in the halls of justice. Verses 1 through 3 it says, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who were still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. And so he he sees the oppression and the exploitation of the weak, how man and his cruelty will take advantage of one another, mankind. He sees the pain and the sorrow of the oppressed, but he also realizes that the oppressor is oppressed. Kind of layers of oppression here and so it kind of flows downhill as one, one social status, as one person, one level of power is oppressed. He oppresses the next. And then the unconcern of society that could bring comfort. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor, Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But Solomon is seeing this, and he's seeing the cruelty, how cruel man can be to one another. He then goes from the hall of justice to the marketplace, and it's there that he observes four kinds of people. First, he sees the industrious man. Verse 4, again, I saw for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. This man, in this man, he sees ingenuity, but he also sees those who are jealous of this man's abilities and this man's successes. Proverbs 27, 4, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Then he sees the idle man, verse 5, the fool folds his hand and consumes his own flesh. He sees the man who is wasting away because... Well, he's very unambitious, and he's not very proactive in his life. He's one willing to sacrifice his future necessities for a present comfort. We're told in Proverbs 19.15, laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. From there, he sees the balanced man in verse 6, better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. One who is able to find the balance between work, family, ministry, and rest. All that he's able to grasp in his hands. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, we're told, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, and it seems to be a picture of what he sees in this balanced man. And then lastly, we saw last week the isolated man in verses 7 through 8. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all of his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This is all vanity and misfortune. He's laid up for himself treasures here on earth, and he knows somewhere down the line the moths and the rust is coming. He understands that, well, the what he has is able to do nothing for him all of these possessions and how hard he works but he has nobody to pass it on he has no joy of providing for somebody else or even blessing somebody else he's walking the preacher walking through society sees this man and how busy he always is but again he has to ask himself what sense does this make what is this really for and then the isolated man after observing him The preacher goes on to notice the man with a friend. He's looking at the antithesis of this isolated man. He's looking at the other side. Now, we have verses 9 through 12. I usually use them in my weddings, but they do not pertain directly to marriage. It's great verses for marriage, but it does not have to be... It's not the sole intent of those scriptures. And I think really what it is meant to, as so many other places in the Bible... You make it real to your situations and circumstances. It it could just be a friendship. It could be a companion in the work of ministry. It could be a companion in work out in the workplace, whatever it might be. But he's noticing a certain concept here. He's examining this contrast between those who isolate themselves and those who befriend others. And he's he's seeing that those who befriend others, those who bring others into the work, into their lives, they're better off. And again, as I've said so many times, from cover to cover in your Bible alone, it's never a good thing. Now, it works two ways, that you should not isolate yourself. I, I can tend to do this. My wife says, now, if I ever die, you've got to call your kids and continue the relationship with your grandkids. I think, why would I not do that? But she knows how I can be. Now, I would never do that, but again, my wife is the one who gets me out and gets me around and do different relationships, and we have to make sure that we do that. So we have to make sure that we do not isolate ourselves, but also we've got to make sure that we're proactive in developing relationships as well. Now I tell people, if you come to church expecting to find a friend, you had better learn to be a friend. But for some people, that's a hard thing. For somebody who is shy, or maybe somebody who doesn't have a lot of friends, they come walking through that door, and it's hard to develop. You can be, even in the church our side, Size. you can be overwhelmed by the different groups that are fellowshipping and talking together, and you can even feel like you're imposing upon them. And really what happens is you end up coming into the church, you sit in the service, and it's kind of awkward to stand out there by yourself and nobody talks to you, so you end up in the closing song, getting up and running out. When I leave here, I go down the aisle and I almost get run over by all the people who are running out. I think we've got to put a little stop sign up there, a stoplight but it it is true and it is sad because again people should come to church to be met by jesus christ and through the holy spirit is how that happens now it'll happen through the word of god without a doubt but it is solidified in their hearts through the relationships that we develop and so just as i have a responsibility to preach the word of god we have a responsibility to reflect the word of god into the hearts of those who come to church because you don't know why people are coming to church Maybe it's somebody who doesn't know Christ but just knows that there's people there and they just need to be in the midst of people. Well, hopefully as they're in the midst of our people that they get Christ. And so he's going to see four main points. First, he sees two are better than one when it comes to working. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Now, I realize this in business. I was a sole proprietor. I worked by myself for the most part, and as I would go to jobs, I could work hard and I could get a lot done. But the times that I had a, a helper with me, I could get more than twice done. For one thing, if I, you know, as an electrician, I did mostly commercial work and we would run conduit, run pipe or whatever, and what you would have to do is go back through and pull wire through the pipe. And sometimes you're pushing a, a we called it a snake, it was a fish tape, you push a tape through, you tie wire on it, you pull it out, So you fish it through, you go, you tie the wire on, you pull it, it gets hung up, you come back over, you straighten it back out, you pull it a little bit more, it gets hung up, and it could be pretty, (laughs) a pretty frustrating thing. And I realized that I get more than twice done if I have a good helper. I, I get a greater reward as I have a helper with me. The blessings that we receive in our life are in direct proportion to the work that we put into life or the obedience to God, and how much more so are we able to get more done and greater, greater benefits even in the sight of God as we bring more people alongside of us for this work. And again, as we're doing that, we're tra- training up the future generations as well. And so a God-given companion in the work that God has called you to do. And so kind of tying tonight in with this morning, if you're a businessman, you need to pray about the people that you bring in and surrounding you because they should be God-given companions, employees, but still God-given companions, people coming alongside to do this great ministry so that you would have a great reward. Not necessarily make a lot of money, but, but do what is right and do what is good and fulfill God's purpose in that particular case and then again, make it applicable to your life. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, taking it into the marriage relationship, but he did not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Now, it's basically what he's saying here. He's made the two to become one, and he didn't just do it with just an afterthought, just the partial power of the Holy Spirit. This is the totality of God that fuses man and wife together. Why? Because there's a work for husband and wife to do. And the purpose is here, at least one of them, is that he seeks godly offspring. So he says, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. So I got to make sure that I'm not dealing treacherously or at least irresponsibly with the people that God has given me for the work to which God has called me to. Now again, I can be the person who does everything and God has, is teaching me. I haven't learned yet. But you got to leave stuff for other people to do. You've got to train other people up in the work of ministry. So we need to look at this over every aspect of our lives. In our homes, especially as, again, my, my case, my example, as, as a father, I could do things. See, my mindset is, if I do it, I get it done fast, and I get it done right, and I get it done how I want it to be. But that's not always a good thing again I have to be of the mindset of training up the future generations bringing more people in because again if we're serving god and if it's a blessing to serve god how many people am i depriving the blessings of that they're not unable then if i'm doing everything to come alongside and to be involved in that work as well so what is the work that god has given you to do that you and your companion would be rewarded for well in the confines of the church, it would be along the lines of, and it's what well, everybody must consider, how has God spiritually gifted you? There's a woman in our church who, she never told me why. She signed up for children's ministry. I mean, she has a heart for the Lord and, and, and all. My wife was telling me about this today, and she signed up for children's ministry, I don't know, not too long ago, and she's been serving there, and she just realizes this is what God's called her to do. And she had a discussion with her husband about teaching every Sunday because she's understanding and she's realizing that this is a gifting that she has from God. And this is a calling that she has from God. And so that's the great work that we are to involve ourselves. At least the focus of our spiritual life is to exercise our spiritual giftings. And so the reason or the way that we know is we take time to pray and fast, time to seek and test, And you'll find that your giftings will also complement that that you have, or or the giftings will complement that which your partner has as well. Again, in the confines of husband and wife, that if God has truly gifted me to be a pastor, then he's gifted my wife to be a pastor's wife. And again, what I, I look just basically across the board, whatever it is that a man is called to do, his wife's gifting will be that which can come alongside and again that which a wife is gifted to do it'll be that which will coincide with her husband's gifting and you can take that again into various ministries it doesn't have to be husband and wife but it does need to be a consideration of us all because if God has supernaturally enabled me to enable me to do a work how much more of a greater work will I be able to do as I have the supernatural Assisting, and I'm not saying they're just an assistant, but somebody who comes alongside for that great work of ministry. And so, God has given you both the Holy Spirit for His purposes, and the only conflict to that will be from the flesh. And so, as we reduce the flesh and as we live to the Spirit, as we seek our spiritual giftings, we'll have a good reward for the work that we do. Work that we do, yeah, this is the work. Of ministry it takes effort sometimes it takes sweat and sometimes it takes toil it's something that we both need to dig in that we all need to dig into and we need to put forth the effort now we seek god to energize our efforts but as i put forth the effort it's then that god blesses and part of that blessing is going to bring somebody along to be able to experience the victories in christ and the joy of the work of ministry 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so God is going to reveal. If you seek it out diligently, he'll reveal your spiritual gifting. But he's not going to leave you by yourself. He'll bring somebody alongside. And that's the the, the means of which we need to pray, that the person he brings alongside, well, if I'm just realizing my spiritual gifting that it would be some sort of mentor. Then it would be somebody to minister to, that they would become closer to Christ because because I'm faithful in what God has called me to do. And then I, in turn, will be able to teach other people also. The results, best seen in the book of Acts in chapter 6, you have the apostles, and they're studying the Word of God, and they're preaching the Word of God, And what it looks like there, doesn't specifically say this, but it looks like the apostles tried to do it all. And they got to the point that they realized they can't. Now, how did they realize that they couldn't? They're looking at the people, and the people, maybe they're well-fed spiritually, but in other areas, they're lacking. And so they're seeking God out, and God says to... Well, he he says to to take these people, to search for these men, and he gave the qualifications and bring them alongside. Now, not everybody is going to be preaching the word of God. The apostles, no doubt, they were given that commission, but the other people were to come alongside and help. So then, because of that, they had a good reward for their labor. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Those guys that were, the title that they gave those guys that came alongside were deacons. And we know that to be just a simple table waiter. They did the physical aspect of the work of ministry. And so you got the apostles now who are able to pray and able to study and able to deliver the word without being encumbered by having to do some of the physical things but they tried to do that there was lack of ministry they brought men around to pick up the slack if you will now people are being ministered to physically and spiritually well in essence it's all spiritual but what we see here again is the word of god spreading and the number of disciples they're no longer being added to the church now they're being multiplied and so we're seeing that things are starting to pick up and so as they took this concept of bringing others around preparing them for the work of ministry, more ministry was able to be done. They were able to do a greater work. So what we see in Ecclesiastes is, is that in the sight of God, when it comes to the work of God, two are definitely better than one. Their efforts will yield a better reward, or what that means is, is greater results. Why is this so important? Well, point number one This great work is important because everybody who is a born-again believer has been called for this work. Again, we all do our little part. We've got a brother down, Bill. Bill's the one I talk about every so often. He comes in every Friday morning, and he comes in here, and he'll spend about two hours in here every single Friday vacuuming the floor. Bill's down. Bill has some health issues, and he's been unable to do it. And it's been a blessing because some brothers have stepped up and come in, and they're vacuuming the floors. They told me to not mention their names because they're afraid their wives are going to find out and (laughs) they're going to have to vacuum the floors at home. But nonetheless, no. But it's a blessing to see, you know, just to see the heart of them knowing that this brother is down, so them coming alongside to do this work of ministry. And And we see, this is how it's supposed to be. As I fall down, you lift me up. As you fall down, I lift you up. And in the body of Christ, everything is taken care of and everything is moving forward in God's great work. Secondly, two are better than one, first when it comes to working, but secondly when it comes to walking. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. My wife and I, about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, and we've seen some people there as well who who bear this out, we've worked out together in the gym. And the beauty of it is, is there's times when I get up, and I don't feel like going to the gym, but she's ready to go. And we don't have an argument, but just her being ready to go, that'll motivate me, and that gets me to the gym. And as we're there, we encourage one another. What are you going to work on? Okay, well, I'm going to do the treadmill. I'm going to do the elliptical. I'm going to do the bike, whatever it might be. And so we do our thing. And so we do a half hour of cardio. And then we go over to the weights. And so I usually go first. I do the weights. And I'm showing her how to lift weights. And so I'm encouraging her. And so she lifts weights and says, well, I can't do anymore." more. Well, you can do one more because you can always do one more. And so she does that one more. So she's been encouraged. And she's stronger because of it. Then it's me and... She never says that to me, but since I want to show off how strong of a man I am before her, I usually lift more than I can lift. And so you have that encouragement that is there, and the idea is you're getting a bigger benefit because you're you're encouraging one another. And so just as we see the truth here once again physically, we also need to see it spiritually. Because so many times a person's walk is their Christian life that is lived here on the earth. And so my wife should have a better Christian walk because she married me. I should have a better Christian walk because I married her, people who are acquaintances of mine, friends of mine in the body of Christ. They should be better off because I'm in their life. I should be better off because they're in my life. And so for every one of us, there is going to come this time that as we are walking along, we fall. Or in, we're some sort of need of help or we need to help somebody else. Because see, in your Christian life, sometimes you fall, sometimes you lift. It's either going to be falling or lifting. If somebody need, has fallen and they need to be lifted, are you around? If we isolate ourselves, they've fallen down and they can't get up. If I've fallen down and can't get up, woe to me if I have nobody there to lift me up. And it's those times when you've got to consider, have I fostered relationships within the body of Christ as I should have fostered relationships within the body of Christ. So when that time of falling comes, that I have people that are aware and are there and are able to lift me up. Nothing worse than hearing that somebody, and it's happened, I can't think of an instance off the top of my head, but somebody's been in the hospital or whatever. Sometimes people show up. I had one man that came up to me, I think it was around Christmas time. After a service, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hi, and I haven't seen this guy in about three years. You know, and I had forgotten that i even known him. I haven't seen him in so long. He, he ended up moving, but I have had people of our church that always, you, know, you kind of forget that you hadn't seen him in a while, And where have you been? Oh, I've been in the hospital, or I had surgery, or done this It's like, why didn't you say anything to anybody? You know, there there was an opportunity for this church to grow through the ministry to that person, and that person was quiet and never said anything. And it's not just that we missed out, but they missed out as well. And so again, in our walks, we need people that come alongside of us for that purpose. Now, the Apostle Paul, we see it many times in his life, because very rarely is the Apostle Paul by himself now as far as how the lord used this man as an example in the bible he's one of the strongest christians that we see he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination i can think of two instances but nonetheless the thing that we see about paul is in his walk he always has somebody with him there was a group of guys that he was ministering with in the book of acts and then the holy spirit says separate paul and it didn't just say paul separate paul and barnabas to the work to which i have called them and so there's barnabas they go on the first missionary journey they bring other people with them we know that they brought john mark although he kind of bailed on him in the middle of it but nonetheless so then they decide to go on the second missionary journey well they've been through that route before paul probably could have gone off by himself but he understands that's not a good thing he goes and talks to barnabas barnabas who's the son of encouragement he wants to train John Mark. He's not given up on John Mark. Paul, Paul's given up on him. Paul probably because Paul was so focused, and I think God taught Paul because later on he say, "Bring John Mark to me because he's useful in ministry." But nonetheless, and so there's a division between Barnabas and Paul, and then God sends Silas because again, Paul never just went off by himself, and so now he's got another traveling companion, Silas. When he was alone in prison, he called for Timothy. There was Titus, Tichicus, and Dr. Luke seemed to be with him for a lot of his travels as well. And then if you turn, I'm not turning there, but in Romans chapter 16, if you look at that last chapter of the book of Romans, he's surrounded by a bunch of tongue-twisting names there. There's a bunch of people who are with him as he's sending off these greetings to this group of people. Paul was always in the midst of people. He always had accountability and he always had people with him because... In case he fell, in case he fell, they would be able to lift up. And he was there because Peter and Galatians, Peter played the hypocrite. And Paul, I had to withstand him to his face. I, I had to correct Peter because Peter, if you, if you realize this concept, Peter fell into hypocrisy. And Peter needed to be lifted out of that and set back right. And Paul was there for that purpose. And then there was a time when things happened beyond his control and Paul found himself abandoned by everybody, but it's during that time that he became even more aware of the presence of Jesus Christ in his life. In 2 Timothy 4, 16-17, he says, And at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So when he was alone, he became aware of the presence of God. But see, in that letter to Timothy that he was writing, he was calling to, I'm alone, Timothy. I need you to come to me. Bring the parchments, bring the cloak. I need your fellowship. I need the strength that another believer is able to bring me. So who is there in your life that is there when you need to be lifted up? Now, what does it mean to be lifted up? That could be one of those Christianese terms that we use. Hey, you know what? I'll I'll lift you up. Nobody's ever come beside me and picked me up off the ground, but that wouldn't do any good. What does it mean? Well, to lift somebody up, is to lift them up before the Lord. I think that would be what that term would mean. It's not necessarily a theological term. It's just something we've interjected. Well, when I say I'll lift somebody up, I think, number one, that means you pray for them you lift them up before the presence of the lord in prayer and so i pray that my wife prays for me and i know she does and i pray for her we we lift one another up here at church we have noon prayer and we're lifting up that i mean the purpose for prayer we'll pray for pretty much anything but the purpose for the prayer is directed at the specifics of the church and the people of this church we lift people up in the body of christ also, to encourage one another because it's so easy to become discouraged. It's so easy to allow the flesh to overwhelm us and to become discouraged in life and discouraged in the work of ministry. We need to be encouraged from time to time. And have you ever tried to encourage yourself when you're discouraged? It doesn't really work. All the encouragement that I've ever gotten when I have been discouraged has come from an outside source. If you don't have that outside source, that tells me that you're going to remain discouraged. Now, can you encourage yourself? I'd rather the Lord encourage me. And anytime the Lord has done a work such as that, He's always used that outside source. And then to strengthen people in their Christian life is, again, just to simply exercise your spiritual giftings and see the Holy Spirit do a work through you into their lives. This is to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing, and sometimes that means being open to what somebody has to say even when they have the hard things to say. You have somebody in your life that they're able to say the hard things to you? I don't like to hear hard things, but hard things are the things that go deeply into the soul of a person for the purpose of working change. There's going to be some people that say hard things because they want to get at you, There's other people that say the hard things because they want to see you lifted up in this great work of ministry. Again, Galatians, I say again because we looked at it a Sunday morning or two ago. Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If a man is walking, living his Christian life, and he stumbles and he falls, be there to lift him up. Because chances are there's going to be a time in your life that you're walking, you stumble, and you fall. Now, if you've lifted people up, then you're going to have people around you who are going to be concerned for you and come alongside. If you're the kind of person that never lifts anybody up, maybe you've even stepped on a few people, don't be surprised if you get stepped on yourself. The only way a person can have a healthy Christian life is by Jesus Christ moving in your life through the Holy Spirit. And the main way that the Holy Spirit works in a person's life is through other born-again believers. That's just the way I see God working, and it's a constant throughout the Scriptures. I know it's been a constant in my life. When God has provided, He has provided through the agencies of fellow born-again believers. As God has lifted me up, He has done so through the agency of fellow born-again believers. And so you can kind of look back and look at verse 8. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all of his labors, nor is eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? And what does uh, uh, the preacher say that this is? It's vanity and a grave misfortune. This man has deceived himself. Vanity, there's no substance to such a life. A life lived apart from Christ, Is vanity without a doubt a life lived apart from fellow believers is vanity as well we need one another never forget that the reason God gave you the people close to you is so that you both would be closer to Jesus Christ because of your relationship with one another one of the two of you should be pointing to the Lord when the other forgets the look and again you can have those times of the flesh where instead of looking up you're looking down And prayerfully, that person that's with you, they're the ones who are looking up and they encourage to get your focus back where it needs to be. Why is this important? Because we who walk will all at some time stumble, will at some time fall. Thirdly, two are better than one when it comes to working, walking, and then verse 11, warming. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, and how can one be warm alone? Well, when it asked that question, how can one be warm alone? The answer is, they can't. They can't. It's how God has created us. Now, when I was in college, I needed to take an elective, and I had taken, I didn't have certain time for certain classes, and so I decided to take a backpacking class. I didn't really plan on ever going backpacking, but I thought it would be interesting, and one of the things that was interesting is, and you've got to be prepared as you're going out into the elements and all, is, is hypothermia. It's people who get caught out in the cold, and they're saying, and he gave some of the symptoms to somebody who was suffering from the cold, and he says the best thing that you're able to do is to take that person's jacket off, put them in a sleeping bag, and you get in with them. And he says that body heat will restore them. And so you see the necessity of being close to somebody and and bringing that into somebody's life because it's going to be that which is able to give life. Sometimes I think the only reason my wife keeps me around is that I'm able to warm the bed at night, especially on nights like tonight. Warmness, warmness in the scriptures so many times speaks of contentment that we are to have in our lives. And a person who isolates himself will not find contentment in their Christian lives. And how could they possibly find contentment The only way that I find contentment in my Christian life is as I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can you possibly serve the Lord Jesus Christ if you have absolutely no relationships in your Christian life? You have to have relationships in your Christian life to exercise your spiritual gifting to serve Jesus Christ. You know, there are spiritual gifts and they're they're called the fruits of the Spirit. As I've said before my fruit trees at home we just i went to trim the trees and our lemon tree was loaded trim lemon tree had tons of lemons and i picked two five gallon buckets of it and never even got time to trim it we brought some here and a lot of people walked out with lemons we still have a refrigerator full of lemons we've got bountiful fruit to partake of but i've never gone outside and seen my lemon tree eating a lemon the reason it produces fruit is for the benefit of others and as it produces fruit for me i'm healthy i'm able to tend and care for the tree and the tree's going to be healthy and me and the tree we got a good relationship well how much more so in the body of christ as i'm bearing fruit others are able to come and partake of that fruit that i bear and as they're healthy in their christian lives then i'm able to come and partake of the fruit that they bear and again then we've got that perfect unity of two people working together And it's then that I'm going to find contentment in my Christian life. And so contentment in a born-again believer's life is having your needs met in Christ through another. It's burning calories or putting forth the effort for the betterment of somebody else serving one another. It's understanding the quantity of God's grace, the intensity of His glory, the reality of our salvation, and the unity of fellowship. It's coming to all of these understandings and and. and and it pales in comparison to anything else that the world has to offer, just to understand and know that you've been used by Jesus Christ in the life of somebody else. Even if it's just in a small way, it's amazing the impact that we are able to have. I had um, somebody, uh, I can't remember where I saw them. I was out and about and ran into somebody that I knew many years ago at another church at Chino Valley, and they came up to me and we were talking with one another and he t- told me, you know, when you, when you helped me at that one man, it just made such a difference. I don't even remember doing it. But it's just a blessing, you know, to have that contentment just to know that you were used in somebody's life. And if we don't have that contentment, I have to ask, am I putting forth the effort to be able to be used in some? Am I making myself available to be able to be used in somebody else's life? These things are realized when we see them reflected out in the life of somebody else. And so I've got to make sure that I'm putting forth that effort in my Christian life. Matter of fact, if I'm not content in my Christian life, I need to make an evaluation of my Christian life. Why is this important? Because we live in a lonely, cold world, and we see that now more than ever. We see it on TV. There's a lot of anger out there. We saw it in the election. We see it in the talk shows and the news shows and the marches that are going on and the rioting that we see. There's a lot of anger and there's a lot of upheaval that is going on there. When we're able to be content in the midst of it, it kind of speaks of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Isn't that going to be a witness to these people? Because anger, you know, you see people who are angry all the time, frustrated all the time, seems like those people kind of die early. It's just not a good condition for the human body. And what are people out there looking for? They're looking for contentment in this evil age. And we have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we live that, that's another element of our witness to those who need Christ. And so others orientated person, they'll find contentment. The Lone Ranger, he'll never find warmth alone. And then fourthly, two are better than one when it comes to working, when it comes to walking, when it comes to warming, and when it comes to a warning. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who's the him here? We don't really know. Just somebody who's trying to do damage to somebody's life somebody who is trying to overpower, and the idea behind overpower is to pin you in a wrestling match. Now, I've seen wrestling matches, such as a high school wrestling match. It seems like a hard thing. I mean, you know, I'm talking to a guy, and he's saying how much he enjoys wrestling, and I go and watch the wrestling match, and they're grinding each other's faces into the mats and all that. just doesn't look like an enjoyable thing to me. But what you see is the the, the, the intent here is to render that person I don't know, helpless or useless. It's to pin him to the mat so that he's no longer, you have complete domination over that person. And far be it that the enemy would have domination over the body of Christ, that he would pin the the church and render the church ineffective in what God has called it to do. Now, to a degree, we see that happening from time to time through the history of the church, but it ought not to be so. As a Christian, you will not perish in your Christian life but you sure can be rendered useless or you sure can be pinned to the mat. Now we have the main wrestling match that we wrestle. We're told in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he's saying, but we do wrestle. And again, it speaks of putting forth the effort, And there's a warning here is that we ought not to be overpowered by anything that is coming up contrary to God. Now, if you look at verse 12, there's a bit of a progression here. He speaks of one, he speaks of two, and then he speaks of three. One Christian by himself can be pinned by the enemy. Two believers, they're able to withstand that enemy. They're able to at least wrestle to a standstill. But a threefold cord, three who are braided together, that's going to be a formidable force. So it's one thing to have a companion. It's quite another thing to have a companion in Christ. This relationship that has been supernaturally enabled by God. And that's where that threefold cord comes together. That as I have this relationship in christ it's that which is able to endure but it's also that which is able to give and that which is able to minister why is this important because three is the number of completeness and perfection a relationship of two people will never be complete or perfect until christ is woven amongst them i can look at this in my life i can look at my life i'm sorry my marriage before christ and I look at my marriage after Christ. I look at it when it was just a two-fold cord, and then I can look at it when it was a three-fold cord. And the three-fold cord is better. The three-fold cord is stronger. And we have had a good reward for our labors. He's gone now for, we make a little bit of a transition, and I'll just pretty much close here, but we've gone from the halls of justice to the marketplace And now there's the search for good government. And he sees this concept that he's just going to bring before us. And he says, well, in verse 13, better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who would be admonished no more. He's looking at the government and he's saying, you know what, it's better off to have somebody new in office than somebody who has stagnated in office. Now, the person who is new in office is going to be inexperienced, and they're not going to have, know how to deal with certain things. But because of that, they're going to be innovative. They're going to be innovative, and they're going to be, again, proactive in what they're called to do. As far as the foolish king, he's just kind of sat back and rested on his laurels, and really nothing is happening. So you have one who's unable to do a whole lot, although he's making the effort, and the effort is what God blesses, you have the one who is just kicking back and nothing happens. It says in verse 14, For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end to all the people whom over or over whom he was made king. Yet those who come after will not rejoice in him. So the idea is, is that even this young foolish king and he's better than the one who's become complacent. Sooner or later, he's going to become complacent. Because remember, what is the preacher looking at? He's looking at the cycle of life. That's what goes around, comes around. And he says, surely this is vanity and grasping for the wind. He's looking at all of these things, and surely this is there, there's just no substance there. But he didn't say that about verses 9 through 12, because that's what God's plan is, is for us, is to develop and to foster relationships. Develop and foster relationships that encourage us, that keep us moving forward, that enable us in God's will so that God's blessings will be upon us. And so I need to consider those four facets of my life as far as in the body of Christ, working, walking, warming, and warning. is to take that warning and to make sure that I'm not out there by myself, that I'm walking in the Lord Jesus Christ, but as I'm walking in Christ, I'm doing so with my brothers and sisters. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your message. We thank you for your word. And we praise you, Lord, that you have given it to us. But Father, I pray that we would bless you through the doing of it. And so, Lord, we gather together because you've commanded us, because you guide us and you speak to us. We're not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. And now we see the reasons and the purposes that you have behind that. And so, Lord, I've seen people who have done these things and, Lord, they're not blessed. Matter of fact, they're not content. But, Father, as we enter into these things, it's these things that you do bless. And so, Father, we just thank you for tonight. I thank you for the rain, Lord, and I pray for an end to this drought. I thank you, Father, for those who have come out and pray, Father, that those here tonight would travel safely home and that you would bless them in the week to come. We lift up our church, Father, that you would strengthen it and that you would use it for your glory. We just pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You all stand, please. Again, we have the woman's retreat coming up. The beginning of March, we're taking sign-ups. I don't know how many people signed up this morning.